Good morning. How are y'all? Good? Awesome? Awesome. Well, my name is Dustin, and I get the privilege of serving as a pastor and also getting ready to plant a church. I'll tell you more about that in just a second. But if you have your Bibles, uh, you can start flipping to Acts chapter 16. That's where we'll be hanging out this morning, watching what Paul's doing um, and how the gospel took off. We're beneficiaries of what happened about 2,000 years ago. So um, we'll get to, get to work our way through that. And as you're flipping there, uh, as many of you know, um, I know a lot of you, my wife and I um, have been here for a while, and we're actually both from uh, the Athens area, and so we're actually getting ready to go plant a church in Athens. You may have heard about that in the 1-8 project, where we're um, essentially wanting to uh, buy land, break ground on a facility, and then plant a church, and my wife and I get to be the church planters. And so uh, I want to just briefly talk about that, and then we'll jump into the scripture, but a lot of people have had a lot of questions. And so um, in two Sundays on December 15th, right after service, or after the 11 o'clock service at 12.15, we're going to have a meeting in the conference room. And so that's for anybody that is interested in going. So uh, my wife and I don't plan on taking on this project by ourselves. We know that and research would say that uh, having a team that goes with us is a really good idea. And so um, there's people that are already committed, people praying about going. And um, we believe that some of you may want or be called to go with us. And so um, we do want to talk to you about that. Or if you feel like you can help out in any other special way, maybe you know people there, maybe there's just something else that we're not thinking about. If you in any way feel like you could help, uh, please show up to that meeting. We would love to hear from you and share a little more. And so um, essentially we're going to start um, at the end of the school year in the summer in our core group, which will be probably anywhere from 20 to 40 people. We have some people there that are going to join us and we're going to meet in a house for a few months and then we'll launch services. And so um, we really don't know all that God's going to do, but we're excited and uh, very thankful for you guys, especially for um, supporting us and being our sending church. And um, so enough gratitude, can't have enough gratitude towards you guys. So Important other good stuff. Acts chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up in verse 6. So we're in a series called Sent. If you're new, if you've been here a while, you're used to it. But Blake last week talked about the Jerusalem Council. So let me catch you up quickly. I'll show you a map in a second, but let me catch you up quickly to where we are. So the gospel came, the church started, and then uh, Peter kind of led the, the gospel going forward. And then Paul picks up after he gets saved in Acts chapter 9. And then what happens is in Acts 14, uh, he gets sent out to be on his first missionary journey. And he goes to Iconium, Derby, Lystra, some of these cities. And he goes around and he comes back. And he comes back because they're having issues, which is what Blake talked about last week, where they were making Gentiles who were non-Jews conform to Jewish laws in order to be a Christian. And they said, hey, this is not how the gospel works. This is not um, what Jesus came and did away with. And so Blake preached about that last week. And so now we're going to pick up with what Paul's going to do next. So they came back after his first missionary journey where he went around and planted churches. They deal with some issues. And now he's getting ready to be sent back out. And so we're going to be able to learn from things from Paul. So uh, let's read it, and we'll dive into what we can learn from it. So verse 6, chapter 16, verse 6, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from, from the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So Paul sets out. He's not sure exactly where he wants to go, but God sends him to cities, keeps him out of some places. He's being led by the Spirit. Verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter into Bithynia, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went to Troas. During the night, so this is Troas, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. This is important. See what the man says. He says, come over to Macedonia and help us. So this Macedonian guy that Paul has a dream of or has a vision of says, come and help me. So Paul's going to get ready to go help him. Verse 10 says, after Paul had the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul sees a vision of a guy needing help. And he doesn't gather anything, but he just says, hey, the most important thing I have for you is the gospel. That's the thing that's going to change your eternity. So let's go and let's preach the gospel to people that have never heard it. And so we'll pick up on what happens later on. But let's pray together and we'll jump into it. Father, God, we love you and we're thankful for salvation. Lord, we're, we're extra thankful, God, daily for the blood you shed for us on the cross. And help us never let that stop being the standard of which we live, Lord, to Forgive people that have wronged us, Lord, to love people unconditionally like you've unconditionally loved us. And Lord, uh, thank you for your word. 
God, thank you for uh, telling us that it won't return void, so help us stay close to it this morning, God. And uh, I specifically pray this morning that you would align our hearts to yours. God, we don't want to do something on our own. We don't want to create a new vision. God, we want to align to your plan. And so, Lord, prick our hearts, turn our hearts. Lord, steer everything that we think and everything that we want to be about to your plan and your mission. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says amen. Amen. So um, if you... if you've ever moved, you'll know exactly where I'm coming from, but uh, my wife and I, since we're getting ready to go plant the church in Athens, we're getting ready to move, and so as we're getting ready to move, obviously you know that um, you like to have help, and so uh, many of you, if you've moved, will know this, but when you have help with people helping you move, um, there's usually strategic helpers, and strategic in two different, very different ways, right? So uh, the, the first way is we're loading the trailer, and you have strategic helpers that come in to help us move, and uh, they're saying, hey, let's not put this this Way. Let's lean this piece of furniture on its side, push it to the back of the trailer so we can have more room in the trailer, which means less trips, which means it takes less time, okay? So those are the good helpers. Um, how many of y'all know that there are helpers that strategically uh, have something get hurt or need to leave when things, you get into the heavy stuff when you're moving? Yeah? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand like most of you, you're probably the one, right? So, uh, so we would get to the heavy stuff, and uh, my son, we have a 19-year-old, and we would be talking to him, and we'd get there, and he would be like, hey, uh, you know, I, he conveniently gets a phone call or something when we get to the heavy stuff, or we'll get to the apartment, and one of his buddies will be like, you know, my stomach's hurting. I need to go spend some time on the bathroom, you know, and I'm like, listen, that's a convenient stomachache, you know what I mean? That's not what we're about. So um, anyway, so I say that because they're strategic things. Well, when we're unpacking to move into our apartment um, complex and uh, we're getting there and there's these four little boys probably between the age of third grade and sixth grade and they decided they want to come help us move. So we're unloading everything. Um, they're grabbing stuff, just walking out of the trailer into the apartment. I don't know what they broke, but it was we were moving a lot faster than just two or three of us. So I was grateful. So they're moving stuff in and um, crew my son is kind of building relationships, joking with them, telling them about him wrestling. They play sports and just having a good time with them, building a relationship as they're helping us move, just completely um, happenstance, just completely random. And so uh, by the end of it, though, we're hanging out. We got all our stuff in the apartment. And we're standing around talking, and Cruz and uh, our little boy Dax and my wife and I are standing there, and he says, you know, he says, those little kids don't know it. They think I'm just having a good time with them, but before, that, before we leave here, they're going to be disciples of Jesus. And so in that moment, I'm fired up. I'm like wanting to go, but in the back of my mind, I'm having to take a step back and be like, listen, 19-year-olds don't normally think like that. Okay, that's normally not on their mind, but it excited me so much because, listen, he wasn't, he wasn't concerned with how heavy the stuff was. He wasn't concerned about having mean ginger dad making him move stuff. He wasn't concerned with that. What he was concerned about was seeing these lost kids that don't know Christ. He can build a relationship with them strategically to let them meet Christ. And he doesn't want to just change and make them happy and have fun for a few minutes. He wants to make an eternal change in their life and share Christ. Amen. And so that's exactly, that type of thinking is what Paul picks up here. So many people say, well, why does Paul want to leave? You know, you hear about Paul's missionary journeys. Why does he want to go? And there's several reasons for that. But the, the main reason is that Paul wanted to see people's eternity change. He wanted to see the God that created us, the God that loves us, the God that deserves all the glory in the world. He wanted to see that God receive the glory through worshipers like you and I. And he knew that they wouldn't be able to worship God if they didn't know God. Okay, so his, his mission was to make God known wherever he went, and he knew there were people that didn't know about it. And so from Paul, from Paul getting this vision and taking off, we'll unpack it a little more, we get three big ideas from Paul, okay? So if you're taking notes, um, if you're thinking through this or walking through it with me, there's three big ideas. The first one is this. The first thing we learn from Paul is we get Paul's mission, Okay, now you say, well, of course, Paul's mission, I kind of just told it to you, but this was kind of twofold in how Paul was strategic, okay? The first reason is this, is Paul wanted to take the gospel to people who had never heard it, 
Okay, this is monumental because most people around here have heard of Christ to some degree. But Paul wanted to go where people had never heard of it. Now, why would Paul want to do that? Because Paul didn't create a new vision for his life, okay? Listen, I don't, I don't know where people are on visions, but God's vision for you is found in his word, which is to make his name known, okay? So Paul wanted to take that and align it to what Jesus said. What did Jesus say that our mission is for every believer in here? He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, okay? Bam, mission statement for every single one of us, okay? Make disciples of all nations. So how do we do that? How do we define that? Well, one of the cool things in that statement that Jesus says that Paul is running with in Acts chapter 16 is the idea of nations, okay? Nations comes from a Greek word, ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnicity, um, ethnics, different ethnic groups. That's that same idea. So what we know is, is when Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, he didn't mean the United States. He didn't mean Mexico. He didn't mean Canada. He didn't mean nations as in countries. He meant nations as people groups, okay? So I'm introducing this idea as people groups. What people groups are are people that make them them and us us. So most of us are obviously in the same people group, okay? We speak the same language. We have the same culture. Things are pretty normal between all of us. You could drive to Tennessee or South Carolina or it would be very similar. But when you hop people groups, meaning you hop cultures and you get to a different people group, then it changes, okay? So just to give you an idea, there are only a hundred and something countries, but there's 17,094 people groups. What that means is, is there's divisions between 17,000 people. Here's the crazy news. 7,000 of those have never heard of Jesus, okay? They don't have the gospel. So you say, well, what does that have to do with me? If us in here are believers and we're connecting to God's vision and we take God's command seriously, we play a part in that somehow, okay? So let me show you this. So Paul's getting ready to go and he's gonna, he's gonna go, but I wanna show you this map right here and just show you what Paul's thinking and what, what's going on strategically in his mind. So if you check out, so Paul, or, or not Paul, I wish Blake was Paul, that would be cool, but Blake last week preached about the Jerusalem council, okay? Bottom right here, you see Jerusalem. So they come together. This is where the Holy Spirit fell. This is where all the stories you read about, mainly that Jesus did miracles in, is in Jerusalem. So what happens? Eventually the gospel starts spreading. They get um, pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So eventually they move their center, their church, main church, 300 miles north to Antioch. And so if you look straight north right there, they move it 300 miles north to Antioch. Well, if you remember, Billy preached a sermon on that church in Antioch and said, that's our model church. Why do we wanna be like the church in Antioch? Because Antioch sent their best people out. Listen, we didn't plant Connection Church just to reach a bunch of people, have a comfortable time in worship, and then just say we did a lot of good, right? Our goal is that we wanna see God's glory go forth by creating worshipers, which essentially means making disciples, okay? So this vision is bigger than just some good idea idea. So he gets sent out to Antioch. Well, if you remember in Acts chapter 14, Paul went to that city, go west, about 200 miles to Iconium. He went to Iconium, Lystra right below it, and Derby southeast from there. He planted those churches, and then he came back. Well, why did he come back? Because he had to deal with those Jewish issues we just talked about. They were wanting to make Gentiles become Jews. So he comes back, he heads down south, he goes to Jerusalem, and now they're getting ready to get sent back out on Paul's second missionary journey, which we're about to get into. So what does that go to? Keep following that red line, keep going, keep going, you get to Troas. If you remember, Troas is where we just read in this story where they're hanging out. This is where he gets the vision. Top left up there, Troas. So now if you see across the sea, that's not like a bridge, he had to get on a boat, and he gets to Philippi. Check this out. So how many of y'all have heard of the books Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, right? You follow me? That's not just random books. What happened is, is Paul on his missionary journey goes around, plants these churches and comes back. Well, years later, he can't hang out in every one of those cities. Those are like 200 miles apart. So he writes letters to them to help them out. And those letters are what makes up our Bible. That's why we hang on to this because Paul was writing to them. So he gets to Philippi. Guess what book he writes to the people in Philippi? Philippians, y'all are so smart. Then he goes to Thessalonica. Guess what he writes to Thessalonica? First and second Thessalonians. Okay, y'all are catching on. So he comes down, he goes to Corinth. They were nuts, okay? So he writes long stuff and tells them to cut some junk out. So he gets to, writes first and second Corinthians. He comes over, goes to Ephesus. Guess what book he wrote to the people in Ephesus? 
Ephesians. And then he comes all the way back. And so what we see is, is that Paul's mission was to take the gospel to people that never heard it. So he's just trying to spread the gospel. This isn't new. This isn't made up. This is Jesus's command that he's taken seriously. So he's taking it around and coming back. Remember, Paul wasn't... Um, wasn't some guy with some note, some guy who didn't have a past, didn't screw up in his younger life. He was somebody who was just a regular follower of Christ. Life got changed, and he wanted to make Jesus known. So how does this connect with all of us? Well, essentially, what ends up happening later is Paul says, hey, I've reached these people right here. I want to go further up and hit Rome. And if I, can, if I can get Rome to understand the gospel, then the Rome will change the whole world. And that's essentially what happened. Constantine made uh, Christianity the major religion, and then they ended up going to Europe, and then Europe sent Christopher Columbus to Mexico, and Mexico sent the, the gospel kind of spread its way up the East Coast, and then you get the, the first believers in the United States. Make sense? So the gospel, what we get to be benefits of, and you say benefits as in it's benefits. Well, yes, what changes our life, what changes our eternity is what people have been bold to do before us, okay? This isn't some random idea. This is what God has called us all to be a part of. So I want you to think. So Paul's first mission was to preach to people who had never heard the good news. So where are the people now that have never heard the good news? I want to show you another map quickly that'll help. How many of y'all remember Micah and Lauren that we did a video of that were going to be missionaries? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. So if you see that red area, the red area is the area that we would consider those 7,000 people groups unreached. This means that 2% or less know Christ. So when, when, when two or one or zero people out of 100 know who Christ is or there's a church there, that area would be red. Yellow's obviously like kinda and green's good. So you see our area, we're, we're a lot of green, okay? Then you get into this red area. They call that the 1040 window because it's 10 degree latitude to 40 degree latitude and it stretches across the Middle East. Now, Mike and Lauren are going to that North Africa area. These people there, I think their area is like 0.5% Christian. So they're gonna be in an area that's predominantly not believers, but this is what his goal is. And this is what Paul's vision was, okay? Paul didn't just make up and say, hey, let's just do this. So now you're thinking, you can kind of turn your attention away from that. But now we're thinking, okay, Dustin, you're kind of talking way out. I don't know that God's called me to go. You're just kind of rambling on. I don't know what to do. Well, here's the deal. The gospel and, and our church as a whole is somewhat like a sprinkler. So follow me here. If you're watering your pretty sod, you don't want a sprinkler that's watering your sod that only sprinkles like maybe 30 yards away and just has a little puddle there and makes that area green, but skips everything in between and doesn't spread water close to you, right? On the flip side, you would throw out a sprinkler that only reached like a two-foot uh, radius around where the sprinkler head was. That doesn't do you any good. You need it to be both, right? So when, when Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, it's a both and. He doesn't say, hey, we don't need to reach the people in Vidalia, Tombs County. We do. God's called us to be effective here, but he's also called us to align to God's mission and what he wants to see happen across the nations. Y'all follow me with this? So it's not an either or, it's a both and. Well, our church in that term would need to be a healthy sprinkler that's reaching people here effectively and sending people out effectively. Now, here's what I know, and this is what we're going to leave it at, is I don't, I'm not, when, when we see Paul sent out by these people, okay, from the church in Jerusalem, the whole church in Jerusalem didn't go. So we know that not everybody here is called to go, but maybe there's more called to go than are actually going, okay? So we do know that if nothing else, we do need to be sending people out if we're a healthy church to make a difference for God's kingdom for the nations, Amen. Amen. So we've got to understand that. The last thing is this, and you say, well, Dustin, why do we want to take the gospel to people that have never heard? Which is a good question. Now, how many of y'all ever been posed the question, what about the innocent people in Africa? You know what I mean? Those, that, that question of why, what happens to them? Well, this should light some urgency to us. Paul had a clear answer for that in Romans 10 that we'll unpack here in just a second. But that clear answer in Romans 10 when he wrote that gives us the method for why we need to go, okay? So check this out with me. Here's the, here's the issue, and let's unpack that question quickly right here. There's no such thing as an innocent human being, 
right? We're all coming from Adam. Our hearts, we were created to worship God perfectly. We were created to glorify God perfectly. So all of our being, all that we do, all that we, how we raise our family, how we work our eight to five, how we spend our money, everything we do with our life, our time, everything is meant to glorify God. So here's the deal. The sin that you think separates you is not being addicted to porn or being drunk when you were 18 or something crazy. The, 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 the sin, the, the root of it is not glorifying God with your life, not aligning your life's mission to God's mission. So think about Romans 3.23 with me. We always use this verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Remember, so when Paul makes his argument for sinful people, he's not saying, hey, bro, you got drunk one time. He's saying, hey, your life's mission, your life's goal is not to glorify God. You're thinking about yourself. This is self-centered. It's all about you. You need to get your eyes off yourself. We need to align to God's plan and what God's doing and what God's going to do because he says that is not, his church is not going to fail. And so we're going to align with what God's doing and we're going to go. So what happens is we first realize in that question that there's no innocent people, right? Listen, we worship football. We worship careers. We worship money. They worship Buddha. It's no different. We're not pouring milk over idols, but with our time, with our life, with our money, what we say we care about is what we worship. And so for them, it looks way different, but for us, it's the same root issue, okay? So the same reason we need the gospel here is the same reason they need the gospel there. And so we're called to take it there. And so Romans 10 says that um, how can somebody hear the gospel without somebody preaching to them? Okay, so if those people are not worshiping the God of the universe that deserves all the glory, then it is our job, our responsibility. Listen, it's not the the responsibility of just a few holy people. It is every believer's responsibility to play a part in sending people to the people that have never heard of Jesus. Amen. And so listen, there's a multitude of ways. There's international students at Bruton Parker that are coming from those backgrounds in Africa and the Middle East that we could maybe uh, love on, let them meet Christ, and then they get sent back. You can be a welcomer. You can be a sender. You can pray for people. You can um, support people financially. But God has called you to make a difference somehow. Okay, he's called you to make disciples here and to make a difference there in some capacity. And we have to see this because Paul wasn't just saying, hey, it's a good idea for me to go to Philippi. It's a good idea for me to go to Thessalonica. He went where the gospel had not been preached. Second thing he did on his mission is he went to strategic places. If we pop that map up quickly of Paul going around, I want you to notice something. You see that red line? You see uh, Bithynia and Galatia and that area up there? There's not a lot of churches in that area, and here's why. Paul knew he only had a certain amount of time on earth, okay? So the cities he went to were all around that, that water. Well, in that time, everything in their society was based off agriculture. So he knew that the people from the desert, the people from these areas that don't have it, they have to travel to Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the main places where everybody would gather. So he said, hey, if I plant a church in Ephesus, these people are going to come to Ephesus for agriculture reasons. Then they'll hear of Jesus, and they'll take Jesus back out. So it wasn't that Jesus was just like, hey, or Paul was just like, hey, let's just go to these random places. He strategically picked places so that he could plant the gospel there and the gospel would be a launching pad to other places. And that's essentially what happened is these churches just kept sending people out and sending people out. And now we get to be the benefits of those churches being commissioned and and sending people out for the glory of God with the gospel. And so think about this with me. This is, this is part of the reason why we want to plant a church in Athens. It's not so that we can have this great church. Listen, there's a chance we go and the church is 50 people. There's a chance it grows. But this is what we want to do. We know that there are tons of young families and college students that are at a place in their life where they can leverage their careers. Listen, because now you can't get into North Africa and Asia by just saying, I want to go to North Africa and go to Asia. You have to have a job. And when you go get that job, you have to have a degree in that work area. You either have to have a business. You can't just go into these places anymore. So we have a whole group of people that can be sent out to make a difference for God's kingdom and share Jesus with people who have never heard of it. Amen. And so it's bigger than that. It wants to serve as a launching pad to make a difference for the kingdom. All right. So that's God's, that's Paul's mission. That's what he's going for. That's his goal. I know that was meaty. I know that was a lot, but let's take a second thing. So what's the second thing we learned from Paul here? The second thing is we learn Paul's motive. So Paul wanted to take the gospel to the people, not good ideas or goods. 
okay? So think about this with me. I want to read, go back to verse, we'll start in verse 8. Or, yeah, we'll start, we'll start in verse 9. Let's start in verse 9 and let's read and see what Paul wanted to do when he heard this. It said, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. All right, big deal here. The vision he has of this guy doesn't know Christ. The guy knows he needs help, but he doesn't know how to be connected to the God of the universe. Listen, there are places and people that know of God because Romans 1 says you look around at creation and creation groans the glories of God. So people know there's a God out there, so they're held content knowing there's a God, but they don't know the good news of Christ to be connected to him and worship him. Okay, so this Macedonia guy says, I, I, I want help. What do I need to do? So what does Paul do to help this guy? This Macedonian's probably poor, doesn't have much money, hungry, thirsty, um, could probably use some education to learn how to get a trade and get a job and sustain himself. But Paul, Paul's not really worried about that at first. What does it say Paul did? Verse 10 says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what does that mean? It means this. It means that when we go places to help people, somewhat like we celebrated with what Blake did, we want to do good things to build bridges, to build relationships, but we can do all of those good things and miss the major point of the gospel, right? Listen, fixing houses doesn't save souls. Giving people food doesn't save souls. What it does is it creates a bridge for you to go across with the gospel to save souls, right? So there's a method of that Paul is doing that his goal is to get the gospel to the end. His goal is not just to do a bunch of good things and tag in Jesus's name on there and then go, right? Uh, not long ago this uh this summer, I went to a mission trip to Nicaragua, and we were hanging out out there, and they have what they call the Nicaraguan missionaries, and what they did is they were Nicaraguans that grew up in Nicaragua, lived there full time, and they would kind of host and lead, uh, help the, the American teams navigate the areas, because obviously they knew the language, he was bilingual, and all that good stuff. His name was Omar. And I was talking with Omar, and we were staying outside, and we see just, you know, terrible things on the streets, not clean, people without you know, physical basic needs. And, you know, he says, what happens is a lot of people come down and the way my thinking is, he's like, you know, they want to do a lot of good. He's like, and I think their hearts are right. He says, but what the conclusion I've come to, and I'll never forget these words. He says, if you like people, you'll give them food or a shirt or education. He says, if you love people, you'll give them the gospel of Jesus Christ right? And so what he's getting at is the end goal in all of this is that we want to attach Jesus and the gospel to everything we're doing, okay? Our goal is not to feed people and send people that are satisfied with food to hell, right? Our goal is not to end thirst and have hydrated people go to hell. That's not our goal, right? Our goal is that we can meet their basic physical needs, but also that we change their eternity, right? This is why we say the gospel is such a big deal to us, because Romans 1.16, it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation. Listen, education doesn't save people. Food doesn't save people. Good ideas won't save people. Sports won't save people. A retirement fund won't save people. A good career won't save people. The only thing that will save a lost soul is hearing the good news of Jesus connecting you to the Father. Amen? And that's why he went to the cross. Listen, Jesus could have come and he's God. He could have laid out the perfect utopian government that said, nobody will ever be sick. Nobody will ever be this. Nobody will ever be that, right? But he didn't do that. When he heals people, he says, hey, I'm gonna heal you, but first you're gonna meet your spiritual need. I'm gonna save you. And then you're gonna get healed because everything Jesus did was pointing to the bigger spiritual matter, not the earthly little fixes that we can get caught up in. Okay, so there's always a bigger message going on. There's always something better. Listen, we can do the same thing in the church. You think, okay, Dustin, you're talking far off missions. Come back to me now. So think about this. Inside the church, if you have church experience, you've probably seen this, but it's really easy. So um, there's some churches that will just get very caught up in the do this and do this and don't do this and don't do this. And so that church is what I would call like a law church, okay? Well, they want you to be saved by the law. You can't be saved by the law. You can't be saved essentially by doing a 
enough good deeds. God's not on a works-based program with you where if you give him Sundays, but you get to do what you want Monday through Saturday, then you'll be saved. That's not how God's working. God says, give me your all, right? He says a halfway life is not profitable to you, right? Meaning if you only halfway give your life to Christ, then that's not what Christ has asked for. So we have to give our whole life. We have to give everything to him. And so instead of a list of rules and just changing the external, we have to let the gospel, which is the only thing that can change our soul, come in and do an internal change so that we can have an eternal change. Does that make sense? Now there's a flip side of that in the church too, where what happens is, is we get caught up with miracles and wonders and all these great things that God can do, but we don't attach the gospel to it, right? It is possible for somebody to see the power of God, understand the power of God, but still be separated from God. So you can see a healing or see God do some miraculous, wondrous thing, but if you don't understand the gospel, then you're still not ever connected to God. Once again, the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, is what saves people, not miracles or wonders or anything. All that stuff, the law and the miracles and wonders, are all meant to culminate in the gospel, right? It's all meant to point us to what Christ has done on the cross. And so it's all coming together to do all of it. Let me help kind of sum this up quickly in this point so maybe it'll help help you understand it, but let me put it in football terms, okay? So um, what's the goal of a football game? Win. How do you win? Score more points, okay? I love that the women answer that because the men get way caught up and like, you do this, you do this, and it's like, well, the end goal is to score more points. Georgia fans, we're doing all right. We're scoring more points than the other team a lot more than we're not, okay? So if we just score a couple more points in the team, if we win, if we win six to three the rest of the season, we're still national champs, okay? So we're good to go. But think about this. But to score more points, we've learned that you need to move the ball down the field, okay? So now the strategy becomes to move the ball to get in the end zone to score points, okay? We understand that. But you don't just say, I'm gonna move the ball. You have to strategize more. So they back up and say, hey, I'm gonna run this formation. I'm gonna run this offense. I'm gonna run the wing T. I'm gonna run pro style. I'm gonna run the spread, right? And so these teams start strategizing on all that they're gonna do. And they back away and say, hey, this is what my goal is. But can in the game, right, follow me on this analogy, in the football game, is it not possible for a team to move the ball better and win the game in some senses, but not really win the game with the points on the scoreboard? Yes, Georgia, South Carolina, okay? Georgia had twice as many total yards. They dominated the trenches. they, They just felt like it was our game, but the whole time on the scoreboard, we're not getting a difference. We're not getting a difference. And then a couple plays happen and boom, they take off and win, okay? So we may have thought we were winning some, but really we lost, right? Y'all good with me? Yeah. So it's the same way with when we do outreach with the gospel, right? We can think we're winning by doing good things, but the ultimate win is when somebody's soul gets saved. So we can do good things. We can see big things God can do. We can do great local outreach and do these things. But listen, we do all that. And you have to understand this with the end goal of somebody meeting Jesus, And listen, they don't just meet Jesus by saying, have a blessed day. They meet Jesus by you building a relationship with him and saying, hey, listen, here's the the content that doesn't change, okay? The strategy might change, how you run your offense to get more points might change, but what doesn't change is that there's an almighty God who created everything, who is loving and graceful, but he is just. And that God created humans and those humans rebelled. And so now we're separated from a holy God. We can't come to God and worship him because he's so holy and we're so not. And so what happens is, is he sends himself because it couldn't be one of us because we're like this big. Our sacrifice would mean nothing. He sends Jesus to the cross, which is God himself come down, wrapped in flesh, sends himself to the cross so that now we have a bridge to walk to God. Listen, not so we can celebrate not going to hell and make this about us, but so we can get to the other side and join God's mission in saving the whole world, okay? So that's the end goal. That's the gospel. If we don't attach that and we just say we're doing a few good things in Jesus' name, then we can do a lot of good. We can move the ball a lot more than the other team, but we're not ever gonna get to the ultimate win, amen? The ultimate win is seeing people's lives change, seeing people meet Christ and seeing their eternities change, not just fixing their earthly issues. Good deal. Third thing we see is Paul's message 
This is where we'll unpack. So uh, I purposely spent a lot of time at the beginning kind of watching what Paul was doing, but now we're gonna see what happens when it practically gets done, okay? Because it's easy to look at that stuff and be like, I can't help with that. I can't make a big deal with that. Listen, the church as a whole can't do anything without individual participants, right? And I'm meaning people that are participating, not just sitting back consuming, but participating. So we have to come together as a family to make a difference in this stuff. But here's, here's the thing, and this is what I, I just want to read what happens when the gospel hits in Philippi. But here's what I know, and, and I, I, I'm going to end with the same thing, is until we cherish the gospel as a church, until individually you wake up every single day and say, thank you, Lord, for my salvation. Thank you for going to the cross for me. I was not worthy. I, I, there's not enough I could do to save myself, but you saved me, and you did it for me, and I want to worship you with my life. And part of worshiping him with your life is to join God's global plan to make his name known to the ends of the earth. But we won't do that until we have cherished the gospel ourselves. I want to start in verse 11. If you remember, so uh, it says from Troas, the first part in verse 11. Essentially what's happening is Paul in Troas gets this vision. He's about to shoot across the sea to Philippi. And when he gets to Philippi, he has encounters with real people. So he takes this big vision that we just talked about And he says, okay, let's make it practical now. What happens? Well, we get to read some encounters, and here's what I want to do. I want to take the encounters and make it personal for you. It says, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for something. Samothrace. I didn't see that city on the map, so I I didn't look up how to pronounce that one. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. Verse 12, from there, we traveled to Philippi. So this is them going across to Philippi a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Macedonia is where all those cities were, Philippi, all of those areas. And we stayed there several days. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Let me pause there and talk about a place of prayer. Um, They found a place of prayer because that's where the synagogues normally were, but there wasn't enough formal Jews there to have a synagogue. So he just went to the general religious area because um, building a bridge for Jews to Christ was pretty easy because he, he could basically take Isaiah and some of the other prophets and he could lead them to Christ. So he goes and hangs out in the place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So the women were having a gathering. Imagine that. The men weren't praying, the women were. Verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Tyra named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of, of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Pause, let me tell you a little bit about Lydia. Lydia wasn't like your uh, poor little woman that you would feel bad for. She was a businesswoman. She sold purple cloth. Well, purple cloth for that culture was what the rich people wore. So she was like a business person for the rich people. So she was probably modern day. She had a house in Miami and a condo in the, in the mountains type girl, okay? She wasn't just like your typical low down type girl. So the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. But at first says she was a worshiper, right? She knew of God. She was going to worship God, but she didn't know Christ. So the Lord opened her heart and she gets saved, okay? This high class woman who probably has it all together gets saved. Verse 15, I'll read it to you. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized and invited her to home, she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us, okay? So not only does Lydia get saved, but now she becomes a staple in the church in Philippi, so much so that she says, hey, my house isn't really mine anymore, just come meet in it, you know? Uh, it's kind of like we deal with, with connect groups. She's like, hey, I got saved. Use all I have for the Lord. Come meet in my house. I'll steward it for you. So she becomes a staple in the church in Philippi. Now, here's what I want to relate that to. What happens is when we become a lot like Philippi, I would say in the case where three people get saved in this city when Paul takes the gospel there, this one probably meets us in our hearts a lot more than the rest of them. And here's, here's why I would say why. It's because Lydia was probably very, very independent, right? She didn't have a reason to depend on God. She had money. She had a career. She, she had everything on the outside that seemed like was going pretty good. Well, what happens in America when we do that, then we end up ignoring Jesus. One of the things Blake's saying, we, we say all the time is this, one of the worst things that could happen for me is for my son to grow up, be a straight A student, be a good athlete, go get a bachelor's degree. Um, maybe even play a college sport or something. Great, you know, get a, become a business owner, have a great retirement account, and then die not knowing Jesus, Right? 
then we have missed it as a parent, right? We don't, succeeding in, on earth does not equal succeeding for eternal purposes, right? Separate. Now listen, they can go together, right? Listen, if you're a business owner in here, just leverage your business for Christ. If you're a teacher in here, leverage your career for Christ. If you work in medical field or bank or whatever, leverage your career for Christ. God didn't give you money for you to hoard for your kingdom. He gave you money to extend God's, right? He didn't give you time and effort. And listen, if you're good with people, if you're good at talking to people, God didn't give you that skill for you to have a lot of friends and a good reputation and a lot of Instagram followers. He gave you all that stuff so you can build relationships and share Christ. It doesn't mean you can't watch football on Saturday night with your buddies and hang out and have a good time, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the overall purpose of all you have and all you do is to glorify God and join him in his mission and making a difference for his kingdom, amen? And so that's where we have to be like Lydia when he meets us where we are. So let's see what happens when the others get saved. Verse 16, it said, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So he finds this woman who can predict the future. We don't have that much going on on 280, but that was what was going on there. She earned a great deal of money for her owners. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she understands this, but she starts kind of following them and mocking them and watch what Paul does. He says, verse 18, he says, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed Listen, Paul wasn't some perfect missionary, holy Bible person that we make up. You know what I mean? The dude gets annoyed. Anybody? You can be a missionary, okay? Like you normal people, this aren't like holy of holies, only preachers, only the, the, no, individual people like you, ordinary people that have normal jobs or who God wants to use to take the gospel forward to build his kingdom. He said, so he became annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her and bam, she gets saved. All right. So I want you to think about this girl with me, this slave girl. It's easy for us to say, okay, that, we don't seem like that's going on. If you went to Africa and walked down their streets, you may run into that a little more, they're a little more open to that stuff. But here's what I would say. We may not be a slave to somebody who's making us use our gifts, but we become a slave to things without even realizing it, okay? So follow me here. We can become a slave to what American capitalism has created or what America or what culture has created without even realizing it. You know what I mean? Like, listen, I, I'll be the first to say, my wife and I, this past week, we sold our house, we're getting ready to move to Athens, plant the church, and what do we do? We, we spend a half a day like indulging ourselves. I use indulging because it kind of helps you understand what we do when we search Zillow for hours. I mean, let's be real. So, um, so we're just searching it, looking for houses to buy. You know, how, how convicted I should be if we go up there and, and, and even the church may do great or, you know, things go well and we have a house and just, and we don't make an eternal difference for God. Listen, I know it's easy for me to say, and y'all here probably like, this dude is a preacher. He, I only known him as a preacher. Listen, I was a wreck in high school. I was um, selfish, all about myself all the way through my first couple years in college. I was a normal person. I wanted to be a teacher and a coach and be popular and have a cute little family and plenty of money. And, you know, like that was what I was all about. And God wrecked me, sent me to my knees and said, Dustin, this is not about you. You're sinful. God shouldn't just be a part of your life to make your reputation better. Jesus needs to become your life. Not long after that, we just said, hey, let's just go with the church plant to Vidalia. Not long after that, I become on staff. This didn't start as just some, hey, let's just build a career out of ministry. You know what I mean? We, we just want to be devoted to God. Now our mission is, hey, whatever my wife and I can do, to make the biggest difference for God's kingdom. That's what we wanna do. Listen, Wednesday nights when we're bathing our kid who just pooped is not the easiest time to think about that. You know what I mean? But that, those real things have to come head to head, y'all. Like at some point, the grind of life has got to be, be in, entwined with what you're doing holy with your life. And holy, I don't mean H, I mean WH, as in your whole life idea, your whole life's mission has to align with what God's doing. It can't just be a Sunday morning thing. And listen, what's crazy, and what I will tell you happened here for Paul when he was out doing that, is when you extending God's glory matches you extending God's glory, it just comes together beautifully, right? Because it says here later on that it brought them joy, 
okay? Your deepest joy is found when God is most glorified. And God's glorified when you create worshipers by sharing Jesus on the cross. So when you share Jesus on the cross, that person now becomes a worshiper of God. So God gets glory and your joy is gonna be found when God's glorified, right? God has this thing rigged. Your ultimate joy is not found in career. It's not found in sex. It's not found in anything that you think it's found in. Your ultimate deep down joy is found when God is most glorified in your life. And God is most glorified in your life when the mission of God is the most important thing in your life. And we see that directly from Paul. Amen? Amen. I hope so. All right, here we go. Last person. Pick up verse 25. Remember, I don't want y'all to separate this. Paul had this big vision and he said, hey, let's just go and let's just start encountering people. And then he has his third encounter in Philippi. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open up, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Okay, so let me catch you up there. It's kind of weird. Like you hear people breaking out of jail and a guy's about to kill himself. Okay, this is what happened. So in that time, the Roman guards, if they were um, hanging out and their job was to not let them escape prison and somebody escaped prison, they went and found the people that escaped, but the person that was in charge of keeping them got their heads chopped off, right? This was a big deal to them. People didn't escape prison. It was a big deal. So he's like, hey, instead of going through that torture, I'm just gonna take my own life. And Paul's like, hey, bro, we didn't leave, okay? He said, because he had thought the prisoners had escaped thought the prisoners escaped. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Let me pause there. You remember how we just talked about how there's a, the, the kind of a spectrum of the, the law following, change your external, but don't worry about the gospel changing your internal. And then we talked about how they're the people that are all about wonders and miracles and seeing the things of God, but you can get so obsessed with that, you, you lose sight of the gospel and what saves people. This is what happened to this guy. He sees the power of God. An earthquake hits the jail. People's chains come off. He's like, hey, I'm gonna kill myself. Well, hold on, the prisoners are still there. So what's his response? He sees the power of God. In this moment, he has experienced the power of God, seen a miracle, but he's not saved, right? So what does Paul do? What does the guy ask? Pick up in verse 29. It said, the jailer called for lights. I guess back then they didn't have light switches. It's 2,000 years ago. So came running in there with candlesticks rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He came in and fell on the ground. It says, he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Think about this. When we experience the power of God, it's not for our glory to sit around and say, look at what I did. It's for us to see the extension of God's glory, okay? So what happens here. What's going on? He says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, all his and his household were baptized. So he gets saved. What happens immediately after a lot of people get truly saved, gospel hits their heart, people around them get saved. So what do they do? After they get saved, what do we do here? People get baptized. It's just following the steps of where all of this these major doctrines have come from. Verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. <laughs> we talked about this. What happens when God's glory goes forth? Joy. He was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God, he and his whole household. So think about this. We, we all sit in different seats in here. Know what I mean? Like we all met Christ differently, kind of like uh, when I was talking about uh, winning with the football teams and how you can have different strategies. Listen, God wants you to become so knowledgeable in the gospel, meaning you can take the, the primary thing of God's great, we're sinful, Jesus died to connect us back to God. That idea, he wants you to get so good at that that you can take that to work with you tomorrow morning, right? He wants you to be so so firm in the content of the gospel that you can make a difference for the kingdom, but you can't if we're not firm in what the gospel teaches, right? And here's the other thing I would say. So we have to learn. We have to be learners. We got to be readers. We got to spend time in the word. We got to ask God to lead us by his spirit in our workplace so we can make a difference. But here's the primary thing I would say about us joining God's mission. And this is where I want to close the sermon is this, is there's really two seats that all of us fall in. The first one is this, 
is this is this is probably I would say the majority of us in here. And and listen, you can fall in and out of this seat. Like sometimes I'm in it, sometimes I'm not. Okay, but if you think about this with me, what happens is is um, if we don't cherish the gospel, we're not going to cherish other people here in the gospel. Does that make sense? So the people that are believers in here, your life's been changed. Your life mission is not about Dustin or insert blank your name. Life's not about you anymore. Life is about God and his mission and his glory, okay? So now we're on this. And you've, you've been at that situation. You wanted to be a part of that, but it's easy to drift in and out of that. The way we don't drift in and out of that is we have a fresh encounter with the gospel every single morning, okay? We wake up every day and we say, God, I'm not deserving. God, I need to drop to my knees. Lord, thank you so much for saving me and you didn't just save me for you you saved me so that I could make a difference for your kingdom right this is how Paul gets to the place in Philippians which is crazy where he's where these people get saved in Philippi he writes the letter in chapter one he says for me to live is great but to die is gain too right y'all know that that coffee cup verse that he talks about reason he's saying that he says hey no if I if I'm living if I'm to go on in life he says if I'm to have more days ahead of me It's gonna mean fruitful labor. And he doesn't mean fruitful labor by making more money. He means fruitful labor spiritually. He wants to make a difference spiritually. So God, everybody in here, all of us, we're believers. This is not our life. It's not our life to have a great American successful life. It is our job to leverage our life for the sake of others to meet Christ. And what's crazy is the other things, the earth, the the world's gonna send things at you that's gonna make you joyful. You're gonna find the most joy when you make a difference spiritually. That's when ultimate joy is gonna come in there and you're gonna say, man, that's where I wanna be. And so that's the first seat. We drift in and out. We, 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 we're, we, we want to be a part of God's mission, but we've got to come back to it. We need to cherish the gospel because if we don't cherish the gospel daily, we're not going to care about making a difference in North Africa, right? We're not going to care about making a difference in Southeast Asia with the Hmong people group who have never heard about Jesus if we don't care about what God's done in our life. Second seed is this, and this is just me being honest, right? The second seed is you've never cherished the gospel. And so I would say if you've never cared about lost people, like, and I don't mean you wake up every day and you're like, I'm gonna tell so-and-so about Jesus. You know what I mean? It's not like that. But your life's goal has never been said, hey, life's not about me. I'm gonna use my life to worship God, however. Lord, just use me, whatever. That's that seat. It's a seat that says, I've first got to have God do a work in my life before God can do a work through my life. Make sense? We can't change the external, do things without it coming from a place in our heart where we say, God, I have you my all. And here's what's, last thing, here's what's even crazier. (laughs) This kind of stuff seems foreign to you. The the idea of going and sharing Christ with people or making a difference in God's kingdom and everything being about God and not about me. I don't know about all that talk, Dustin. I don't know about that. It seems foreign to you until you've had the gospel wreck your own life. Amen? Because when the gospel wrecks your life, you say, I just want to worship God with my life. And once again, it doesn't mean that you quit watching football. Like I think we like so often like relate the, the, those things with it. It's not. It's just to say every day, I wanna make a decision. I'm gonna make small decisions for Christ and I'm gonna make big decisions for Christ. Christ might be calling me to go to North Africa or it might be calling me to be faithful here so when I meet a missionary, conviction don't sit over me. You know what I mean? You like get around missionaries and you're like, Oh, that's like a holy person. Like they gave, if we're faithful here, it's like, man, join the club. You know what I mean? Like, hey, we're all in this together. We're all just about Jesus and his glory and seeing it go to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and we'll wrap it up. Father, we love you. God, and I'm thankful for the people here. God, I'm thankful, God, that you sent people here that care about your mission. Lord, the work we've seen you do through our church just speaks to it. But God, remind us. Lord, I pray for the people in here now that need to be reminded of what the gospel's done in their life. Lord, it's so easy for us to lose sight of that. So easy for us to let that not bear much weight on our everyday decisions. God, bring us back to the day we met you so that we can cherish you like we should cherish you every day. Lord, help us not seek independence and being successful in the American culture.
God, help us find fulfillment and joy in seeing your kingdom grow, seeing our lives become holy and worship you. And Lord, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to come up with new ideas. God, we don't have to dream about what you're like. But God, you gave us your word so that we could know you. We could know what to do to help other people know you. We don't have to come up with anything new. God, you've given it all to us. And so, Lord, help us obey it. Help us study it. Help us love your word more. God, thank you for the people here. And, Lord, I just pray that as you burden our hearts, as we leave, Lord, we don't sit in conviction or condemnation, Lord, but we just make a simple change. And we start leveraging all we have for your glory to the ends of the earth. God, we love you so much, and we're thankful for what you do on the cross for us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.